Hey guys, it's Jay Hewitt. I just got off of stage at Friends Church in Orange, just preached another sermon, and this is another episode of the things that I should have said because I just said a lot of things and there's always stuff left unsaid. There's some things I want to take back and that's what this podcast is about, but I want to start this episode by saying what I shouldn't have said at the last week's episode of Things I Should Have Said. Does that make sense? So the podcast episode last week, I said something that I shouldn't have said, and I want to apologize for it right now. So I told this story last week about uh, speaking at my daughter's preschool and uh, her chapel service, and I was attempting to poke fun at all pastors in general, myself being included, talking about how Uh, We're able to get in front of large crowds of adults and speak without great amounts of nerves, but you put us in front of a small classroom of toddlers and we just, we can't handle ourselves. And I came out, I had sweat rings all in my t-shirt and I was a mess. And um, in that story, I mentioned that uh, I saw another pastor on the way out and he told me that he would never do that. And I called him lame on my last podcast. And I'm a jerk. I shouldn't have done that. I was trying to be lighthearted. I was trying to actually call myself lame in that. Like, aren't we all lame um, in that way? And yet, if I were him and I heard that podcast and I heard me say that, I would be offended because it was offensive. And so I just wanted to say to that person that I referenced, not by name, but uh, it was a real story, a real person that I really love. I just want to say, I'm sorry, bro. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm going to try and get better at that. So with that, moving on to more controversy, I'm going to talk about the message that I just preached on stage, which is a controversial issue on the topic of marriage. So we are still going through the book of Ephesians. And one of the things about going through an entire book of the Bible is you can't skip the things that make you uncomfortable. And so this passage makes everybody a little uncomfortable because of some of the wording. And it really is uh, God's intention of how to bring unity into marriage. So the Apostle Paul had just talked about what unity in the church looked like, and now he's going to the household. And this is what it looks like for a husband and wife to be united. And there are a lot of different ideas of how this works itself out practically. And people try and uh, attach a lot of theology to that practical application. And so we can get all messed up. And we were dealing specifically with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, 22, and 25, which says... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Talking to husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. And there's the hot topic right there. Should it be that wives should always submit to their husbands, that husbands should be the head of the household? And then it wraps up in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And so there's this debate. And where I landed on the debate is that I believe that a godly marriage can most definitely uh, be a shared leadership model where both the husband and the wife share leadership roles. Uh, You can listen back to that message to find out how I landed there, why I landed there. I also reference the other side of the argument and give resources for where you can hear more about that. Uh, But anytime Uh, we get into a controversial issue like this. Uh, There's plenty more that I should have said. 
And so I want to get into that. But first, I want to tell you what happened to me this week. It was awesome. Uh, So I love to wrestle with my daughter. It's our favorite pastime. She's four years old. She is strong and she has a lot of energy. And her favorite thing to do with her dad is to wrestle. And she goes hardcore on me. So I've told her, and this is my way of trying to channel it because I thought, man, she is aggressive. So I told her, you can hit dad and only dad. You can never hit anybody else, but you can hit, kick, body slam your dad as long as you don't do that to anybody else. And she has uh, been good with that. And she hits me, she kicks me, she body slams me, and uh, I bring it to her right back. And I love it because it bonds us because it's one of these things that I have loved professional wrestling ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, when you have a kid, you're always looking for that, like, what what are we going to bond over? What are we both going to love? And so far on the activity side, there hasn't been a ton that I've connected with her over, but wrestling is it. And I was crazy for professional wrestling when I was uh, really young. And my dad noticed that and he took me to a live event and it was insane. Now I grew up during the uh, golden days of wrestling, Hulk Hogan, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Ultimate Warrior, Bushwhackers, Andre the Giant. I saw Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the Giant. All these guys are Hall of Famers and that's when I grew up uh, watching wrestling. And then, you know, as you get older, that's for kids, whatever, you become too cool for it. But then when I got into college, uh, in Southern California, WWF uh, was now called WWE, and they would come to the Honda Center quite often. That's where they would have uh, WrestleMania and SummerSlams and all these things. So in college, one of our favorite things to do was to sneak into these uh, wrestling matches. So the, <laughs> the security was a little subpar, and we would find our way in. And then once we got in, we would then sneak down to the very front, to the aisles where uh, all the wrestlers would come down. You could slap them on the arms as they came by you. Uh, And then uh, from there, one time I snuck backstage. And right when I sneak backstage, I come around a corner and I remember it so vividly. There were two uh, elderly women with irons and they're at a table and they were ironing all of the costumes. And they looked at me like, are you supposed to be back here? But I just did what I always did, just tried to look like I meant to be there. And I just walked right past them. And I walked right past them into a wrestler named Mankind. He was huge. He was giant. Um, And I ran into him and I was like, hey, you're Mankind. He's like, yeah, yes, I am. And and so we started talking and I'm getting all excited. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's like, hey, are you supposed to be back here? And I was like, Mankind, I thought we were cool. I thought this was good. And he's like, you can't be back here. Anyway, he took me back to get security, but he took me into the room, the dressing room, where all the wrestlers were, and they were just hanging out. They were all cool with one another. They were about to go uh, fake beat the crap out of one another in the ring, but in the dressing room, they were all cool, and I got to, got to for a brief moment, be with all of these WWE superstars before they kicked me out of the Honda Center and I had to wait for the rest of my friends. So fast forward, I am now a grown adult 
and I now am more sophisticated and I'm reading on my ESPN app and following all the sports that a sophisticated adult is supposed to follow. And then I see that there's a write-up on a WWE event coming up. And I thought, I've never really noticed that ESPN covers WWE. And so I opened the, uh, the article and it was all about uh, the women that are wrestling in WWE and how far they've come and how they are headlining events like SummerSlam and WrestleMania and uh, gave some of the storylines of some of the top female wrestlers. And I thought, aha, this is my moment. Just like my dad recognized that I was really into WWE or WWF and he took me to an event, uh, my daughter loves wrestling. And now uh, I have the opportunity to introduce her to it. And so I wasn't sure if she was going to like it or not. But what I did is I went on YouTube and I found uh, a couple of the top female wrestlers right now. And I said to my daughter, hey, come here. I want to show you something. I got something special to show, show you. So she came over. She was all excited. And I said, there are some really tough, good girl wrestlers. You ready to see this? And she's like, yay. And so I hit play. And the, the first uh, girl in the match came out. And then uh, she, my daughter went crazy for her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I love her. And then the second girl came out. And my daughter just went through the roof because the second one was uh, Ric Flair's daughter. So if you're old school WWF, you know Ric Flair, Hall of Famer. So she comes out, his daughter, and she has an outfit that is made up of his old outfits. And she's wearing this big cape, and it's blue and sparkly. And she looks like Elsa from Frozen, which my daughter loves. So my daughter's two worlds collide where she loves Elsa, she loves wrestling, and she sees Ric Flair's daughter, uh, and she is pumped. And then the two girls start fighting, and my daughter's mind is just blown seeing all these different wrestling moves. Because at this point, you know, I flip her around on the couch, and she uh, flies at me onto the beanbag and body slams me off the top rope, and that's all she really knows. So she gets to see all these different wrestling moves, and in her mind, there's all these new possibilities and I love it and now ever since we watched that our wrestling sessions have just really gone up a notch and I love having a daughter that is so strong so that happened this week and that made my week back to Ephesians chapter 5 where we get a picture of what God intends for unity in a marriage to practically look like and I believe that uh, he practically wants there to be uh, shared leadership, where the spouses are willing to submit to one another. And as I talked about this, I want to give you some insight on what it's like to be a pastor talking about controversial issues. When I told the congregation where I landed in the argument, literally I could see at the exact same time, I could see people shaking their heads yes in agreement and shaking their heads no in disagreement. And there is nothing quite like standing in front of a group of people and being judged and being able to see that there are people that are with you and people that are, well, I don't want to say they're against you, but they're not with you. Let's just say that. Uh, so the number one uh, fear that people have is of public speaking. Let me tell you how to make it a little more scary. Stand on a stage all by yourself in front of a group of people and talk about a controversial issue and reveal to them what you think about it and watch 
Half the group shake their head no, and half the group shake their head yes, and wonder to yourself, what do these people think of me? What's going through their minds? Now, luckily for me, our congregation, we've worked really hard to create a culture that's not judgmental, but even then, it is very, very uh, vulnerable to do that. So not only did I tell my congregation uh, what I believed about unity in marriage, Then I went one step further and I told them about how it practically works out in my marriage. So now I'm like super, super vulnerable where I say to them, you know, my wife is a gifted leader. I'm a gifted leader. So it only makes sense that we would share leadership responsibilities. And I gave some examples of that. But what I wasn't able to do is give the analogy that I wanted to give. And I think it's a good analogy. And so instead of just kicking myself for not using it, I'm going to tell you about it. So my wife and I both have the spiritual gift of leadership. Uh, That's acknowledged uh, in both of our workplaces and our friends groups. Everybody uh, looks to us for leadership direction. And so in the marriage, we defer to one another in our different areas of strength. Um, And so it looks a lot like a beach volleyball team where we set ourselves up so that off of the serve, uh, one of us is ready to return the serve. One of us is then ready to uh, set that. And then the other person is ready to spike it down. But in beach volleyball, you, you set yourself up according to your strength and then something goes wrong and you're just trying to get to the ball. And so part of the times in our marriage, We're really leading out of our giftedness and out of our strengths. And sometimes things just go crazy and uh, we just have to pick up leadership as it comes. And so it has been quite an adventure uh, figuring out when to take the lead and when to let my wife take the lead, when to uh, submit and defer to her and when she should uh, submit and defer to me. And it, uh, it's not a super clean, airtight way to go about it. It takes a lot of discernment. And luckily, uh, I trust my wife, and she trusts me, and she's wise. And uh, so I can trust that, and I hope she can trust me in that as well. But there was one time where we came to an impasse. And here's, here's where it gets a little tricky, uh, is when there's unity in marriage, what do you do when there's an impasse? When one person thinks we should go this way and the other person thinks, no, we should go this way. Now, in our American culture, you say take a vote, but it's only two people. uh, So you can't vote on it. So maybe one person gets more weight to their vote. Eh, I'm not super comfortable with that. And so as I presented it, I presented to my congregation that when there's an impasse, there uh, needs to be decision making by consensus. And again, you can, message, you can listen to the message to hear exactly how to do that, what that looks like. But uh, I mentioned to my congregation that uh, my wife and I came to an impasse once that was so serious, it almost ended the relationship. And I didn't have time to get into it with them. I probably was already too vulnerable to go any further. Uh, but I want to go there. I want to let you know because I think it matters and I think it's real life. And these are the type of things that uh, couples face all the time. So the issue we were facing was whether we should have children or not. My wife wanted desperately to have children and I even more desperately didn't want to have kids. So you can imagine how difficult that was. We've been married for uh, quite a few years already And uh, my wife 
came to me and said, we need to start trying. And I said, I'm not comfortable with that. And uh, she said, when we got married, we talked about this before we got married. And you said you wanted to have kids. And I said, I don't want to have kids anymore. We were young when we got married and I didn't understand myself well enough at that point. And so I'm sorry that I misled you, but I think having kids will be a disaster waiting to happen. And here's why. A little background on me. Uh, I grew up in a uh, very chaotic home. Uh, I was clinically neglected when I was very young, three years old. And that has created some real attachment issues and anxiety issues. And I knew after I understood this more about myself, I knew bringing a kid into the equation would be triggers for all of that anxiety. I was very afraid that I wouldn't be able to attach well and love that child well. I knew I would go through the motions. I knew I would do all of the responsible things to care for another uh, vulnerable young person, but I was worried about that true love connection. And so I said, I'm not going to bring uh, a child into this world because it's it's not going to be good. Also, I was very worried because uh, uh, depression and mel- mental illness runs very strongly on one side of my family. I was afraid that uh, our uh, kids would be predisposed to that as well. And so I just said, sorry, honey, I can't go there. And she said, sorry, honey, if you can't go there, I'm not sure I can stay here. Now, here's the deal. We are both committed to lifelong marriage. When we said I do, both of us were very clear that there's, there's, no, there's no reason to ever back out of this. And she was very clear that this was necessary for her purpose and calling in life. And she could also see in our discussion that I was scared, that I was making an irrational conclusion out of the fear that I was carrying. And so what we did is we didn't take a vote. Not one of us had more weight than the other. We kept talking. We talked it out. She heard me out. She really understood all of my fears. Uh, We talked it out. I heard her out. I really understood why she wanted this so badly, but that still wasn't enough. We prayed together. We prayed individually. And by the way, it's really hard to pray together when you're not on the same page. When marriage is going well and you're praying for other people, it's awesome to pray together. But when you're in discord and you're um, at an impasse, that's where it takes real spiritual maturity to pray together. And then we took it one step further. And it's so interesting because we teach this for gaining uh, wisdom in our individual life. But when it comes to marriage and we believe to become one flesh, often we don't talk about this in marriage. But what we did is we sought godly counsel. So we started going and seeing a therapist. We started talking to elders in the church We started talking to mentor couples, going over to their place for uh, dinner, people that have been with us through our whole marriage. And as we kept talking with each other, as we kept praying together, and as we brought outsiders in, it became apparent that I was going to try and make a decision based out of fear and that I needed to submit to my wife. And so I did. Although everything in me told me this is a bad idea, that I should run the other way, 
I trusted her and I trusted the other people that I, that we brought in that never told us what to do, but asked us great questions, brought up themes. And I trusted my wife, submitted to her and we got pregnant. We now have a baby girl who I love to wrestle with. And if, if I would have put my foot down, if I would have taken a vote and given myself extra weight to the vote, I would have so much regret. Who knows? Maybe I wouldn't even know how much regret I would have because I never got to live it. But knowing what I know now, she was right. I was wrong. And I'm so glad that we have a marriage where there's shared leadership and where, where we make decisions on consensus. Because what happened is after having a child, I struggled all of those triggers that I'd worried about, they came true. And in the back of my head, I, I kept thinking, see, I told you, I told you. And then I was diagnosed with an incurable brain tumor. I was told that that brain tumor was inoperable. And yet a surgeon was willing to take me on. And despite his research saying that he wouldn't be able to get the entire tumor out, he was able to get the entire tumor out. And when I came out of that, it was almost like I had a new birth. I had become vulnerable again like I was when I was a child. I'd become back to a place where I had to rely on my family. But this time I had a new family. This time I had my wife who was trustworthy. And I had my daughter who served as great motivation in my recovery. And they were there for me. And as I recovered from that surgery and was given a clean bill of health, something happened not just in my brain, but in my heart. The attachment wounds started to heal. The wall of separation that separated me from them attaching deeply started to crumble. And over this last year and a half, I have watched us bond so, so much. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, the right decision that we uh, should have made is the decision we did make to have kids. And so I'm so, so thankful for that. So I'm with my daughter. We're watching WWE's SummerSlam. And as my daughter is seeing all these possibilities of different wrestling moves that she could do and we could do together on the couch in our living room, as she's watching these women wrestling and her eyes are just lit, I saw limitless possibility for her. Having a young daughter who still lives in a culture where females are limited, both in the workplace, but oftentimes also in Christian marriage, I do not, I do not want to allow our culture to stay that way. And I do not want to allow our churches to be a part of, of what is holding our culture back from moving forward. Instead, I want our churches to be catalysts in our culture of saying, look, look, we can do it differently. It's not that in a marriage, uh, the spouses need to be independent from one another and just go their own way and have their own rule. But because it is out of reverence for Christ, because we trust in Jesus, we can trust one another and we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that can move us forward. And so I am so hopeful for the world that my daughter is going to grow up in. And I hope that I can be a part of leading a church that helps create that type of culture. And so it's worth it to me 
to teach on controversial subjects, to stand in front of a crowd of people alone on stage, completely vulnerable, and watching some people shake their heads no and some people shake their heads yes. And I hope that those that shake their heads yes, we can ignite a powerful movement that brings complete equality and mutual submission into all of our relationships because that's truly the life of a Christ follower. It's a life of mutual submission. If you'd like this episode, please help me out by leaving a review on iTunes and subscribing to this podcast and tune in every other week. Also, check out my YouTube channel for weekly inspiration to become fully alive. Stay in touch and follow me on Instagram or come visit me in person at my church. And if you'd like to hear the sermon we deconstructed today, go to friends.church. Well, there it is, the things I should have said. I'm going to need to do this again next week. Count on it.